Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello there, everybody. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Today, we have a guest Robert Ingalls, who is a recovering attorney like me, a professional speaker and founder of Law Pods, one of the first podcast production agencies for law firms. And I specifically wanted him on today because he helps lawyers and law firms produce podcasts. And I think there's a lot of lawyers out there who listen, but don't think they can actually have their own podcast or maybe have thought about it, but think, "Mm, yeah, that's not for me or that's not right for lawyers. And so I wanted to bring him on today to talk a little bit about that and how to really overcome some of those, I think he would argue, incorrect thoughts, um, myths, shall we say. Welcome, Robert. Heather, thank you so much for having me. Anytime anybody will put a microphone in my face and let me talk is an opportunity I'll usually take. So thanks for having me. (laughs) I think that's most of us lawyers, right? (laughs) Right. So before we get into your current endeavors and what you do now, I would love to get into a little bit more about your story because you did practice law for a number of years, correct? Yes. In the recovering category now. In the recovering category. I thought I was the only one who used that term. So um, I'm glad to hear I'm not. (laughs) I think it's gaining a... Yeah, I think it's gaining something because I actually have people outside the law now. I'll tell them I used to practice law and they will bring it up themselves. So I think it's gaining traction. Cool. I haven't heard that. I do hear people laugh when I bring it up and kind of like this. And it's usually currently practicing lawyers who would like to be recovering attorneys, I think, with this kind of nervous laughter. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm, there's something there. Maybe we need to Mm -hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so tell me a little bit about what your practice was, how long you practiced, and what made you leave. Sure. So I initially went to law school to do criminal defense. That mm-hmm. was where my heart was from a very young age. It was something that was attractive to me, and so I showed up, and that's it's what I you know it's what I really focused on in law school. And then I came out and hung a shingle with a classmate, and I made it probably about two years. I think my heart was really in it the first year. And then at the end, towards the end of the second year, I I just had an experience with a client and it was really the straw that broke the camel's back. It was a really heavy straw, but it it just, it was too much for me. It, I realized that I, I was taking it home with me. I came in really idealistic mm-hmm. and the day-to-day work of a criminal defense attorney will take that right out of you if you're not the right person for the job. And I just was really frustrated and overwhelmed and anxious. And I mean, that became a theme, but the type of work I was doing was keeping me up at night. I, uh, for better or for worse, I really like it when people like me. Um, I, I just do. I like to be around people that enjoy my company and, and aren't mad at me all the time. 
And that was not criminal defense. I, every day I felt like I was the bad guy in somebody's story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I may have done the best thing I possibly could for my client and they were mad at me, but what may, what was worse wasn't the clients being frustrated and not appreciative. It was the victims mm. that, uh, you know, I did a lot of work in domestic violence court and mm. I would do my job very ethically. I did the right thing. And there were people really angry at me after. Um, some of those people were parents of very young daughters and I just, it took it out of me. And so I, I realized you know, relatively quickly there, that wasn't for me. And then I pivoted. I did what a lot of recovering lawyers do. Well, let me try something else, right? Let me try this over here. Mm-hmm. And I, I had actually found a really sweet little spot with these unemployment hearings. And uh, I, I won't get into the politics that destroyed that in North Carolina, but they kind of came for us on that front and it just dried up my work there. And so then I got into general civil, did, did some of that, did some personal injury, did some workers comp, just trying to find my place. And I love trial work. I love it. It's the only thing I miss is being able to show up and, and, and argue a case in front of a jury like that, mm-hmm. that, that really is, is an amazing thing for me. And, but the, the day-to-day work of it was real hard for me. The, uh, the types of personalities that you find in litigation most people listening know what I'm talking about. Yes. And it was just constant conflict. And I don't like conflict. And, you know, why, why did you become a lawyer? Right. Day to day, it was so much conflict. And then business development was recruiting Mm. conflict. Like that was my job was to go out and be like, Hey, you got any conflict? Love to have some of your conflict because that's how I'm going to pay my bills. And it was just nonstop all the time. And it just wore me down. And, and then my last ditch effort was estate planning. I had a colleague who was doing that and pretty successfully doing it. And I said, I'll try that. And I, I spent some time working with him a little. It, it was very uh, form driven, a lot of paralegal work, mostly me sitting down going, you know, sign here, date here. And and I just, whew, it's just, I wasn't there for it. Right. And, uh, and so that, you know, that's, that's the short version. <laughs> of, uh, of my story of what got me, you know, into law and then what started to push me back out. So, okay. A couple things to highlight there, but I think are really important. And definitely I could see where this is an issue, not just for litigators, but specifically for the type of litigation that you did, or you started off with it's high stress. Um, and I'm sure you go in very idealistically. I think a lot of lawyers go in very idealistically, regardless of what kind of law they actually choose. And then it turns out to be super hyper competitive, almost like a game. I felt like sometimes you were playing games with one another, which I didn't love. And I was on the transactional side, by the way. So it's not just litigation and the type of litigation. I think that's a lot of law in general. That's not incredibly form-based because there's the form-based law that you talked about at the end, and then there's all the other. And I think that one of the problems that I see, at least, is the type of people who go into law are very competitive, super high achievers, perfectionists, and incredible because of that people pleasers. We don't think of ourselves as people pleasers, but we really are because we care a lot about not just doing the best work possible, but pleasing our clients and getting the best results and pleasing everybody. And we care a lot about what people think of us. And that, those characteristics are the crux of what causes so much of the stress, anxiety, overwhelm, depression, all the issues that we hear about that are going on within the legal world, right? We have higher rates of depression, higher rates of anxiety and stress, higher rates of 
alcohol and drug abuse. A lot of it, I think, is at its core that, which is incredibly important to acknowledge and understand. Because although I do think there are some types of law, like criminal defense, (laughs) that are a little harder to get around, right? It takes a certain kind of person to be able to step away and say, okay, I'm going to judge myself based on you know, following the law and doing what's necessary within the justice system so that, you know, it works the way it's supposed to. There are people who can do that. And if you can't do that, maybe that's not the best type of law for you. But on the other stuff, I do know that there is a way to kind of deal with it and manage it better. And, you know, that's where people like me come in (laughs) to help people figure out how to do that, right? But it's super important because I think most lawyers don't think of themselves as people pleasers. We like to think of ourselves as tough. But at the end of the day, we are very much people pleasers. That's why we want to do such a good job for people. And that's why we care so much about what other people think. (laughs) So I wanted to highlight that because it's really, really important for people to acknowledge if they're going to change anything moving forward. So when you decided to leave, um, there's something I hear about a lot from people who are in the the kind of that transition phase where they know they don't want to practice law anymore, or maybe they don't want to practice the way they have, or they've just recently left. And there's this weird thing that happens to a lot of lawyers where we're trained to be lawyers. We spent all this time, money, and energy to train to be lawyers. And so we feel like we have to gut it out. We can't do anything else. And then it turns into this, well, I'm not trained to do anything else. I don't know what else to do. Did you ever have any of that? All of it. I mean, it's textbook. It was, it it started with, you know, it's your identity. You Mm -hmm. spent all this time and money. And I had, you know, my parents were there for me during this. They helped support me and, you know, move me around Mm -hmm. and just really a lot of time and energy on their part. And I think they were very proud of, I mean, I think they're incredibly proud of me now, but they were proud that I was a lawyer. Like my mother didn't graduate high school. I mean, she went on and hustled and made a very successful life for herself. But the fact that, you know, I was going and getting a doctorate, like she Mm. loved it. She really thought that was something super cool. And so the idea of, you know, telling my parents say, Hey, you know, I really don't want to do this anymore. That, that was, that was tough. I mean, I I ripped the bandaid off pretty quick when I decided, but all those things. And I felt like I was giving up and what made it hard for me uh, personally was I was a very shy child and very inhibited, very anxious. We didn't really have that word for it when I was a kid, but I learned early on that the only way I was ever going to succeed was to lean into uncomfortable things. Uh. And so that became who I was. It became part of my identity. And because, you know, when I was, I, I remember being a kid and probably a little bit before middle school and failing a oral book report on a book I'd read because I was too scared to get in front of the room. Like I was, that was the kind of kid I was, but I knew that I wanted something. Like I just always felt like I was headed for something that I wanted something big. <laughs> and so over a period of time, I just learned to lean in, to lean into the discomfort. And that served me so well. It served me in my personal life. It served me in my educational goals. It served me everywhere to just lean in because a lot of people won't lean in. And so I learned I could really overcome if I did that, just lean into the things that are weird and uncomfortable. And so that was the strategy I tried to employ 
when law got hard, when it didn't feel right, as I was like, I've just got to try harder. I've just got to lean in. It turned into against this. you when it worked yes. so well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I guess there was a time, there was a moment where you must have had that epiphany or that realization or something where it was like, wait, maybe the leaning in needs to be leaning into the discomfort of leaving. Right. Yeah. Well, and for me, it was a, it was kind of, it was one of those life transition moments that helped me really uh, pivot was I had just gotten married and I was in all of this like chaos in my head that was mostly kind of unbeknownst to my wife. And we didn't even know if we wanted to have kids. And then right after we got married, she uh, came in the room one day while I was packing and said, I, I want to have a baby. And I said, okay. And she just kind of stood there and I said, well, you know, like when she's like now. And that was, that was a lot to process in, you know, a 30 second period of time because kids were, if ever were tomorrow guys problems. And it's not that I didn't want them. I did, but it was very much like tomorrow person's problem. I didn't have to deal with that right now. I had other things to deal with. Now, all of a sudden somebody might live here next year Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be their primary mentor. And I just, I, I was really freaking out, like mostly again, you know, to my wife, because I, I wasn't ready to be somebody's dad. I, I had all this anxiety and overwhelm and I was just, I felt really like I was spiraling every day. I was barely holding on. And then I was going to be responsible for somebody else. And I started, you know, I grew up in the eighties and there was a lot of movies had this dad who had the slick suit and the nice cars and his kids yep. resented him because he was never around. Like that, that guy was everywhere. <laughs> yes. And I did not want to be that guy. And in, in law school, I'd read an article from a very successful lawyer in my town. Uh, definitely somebody you feel like if I'm, if I make weight, if I get where he got, like I made it right. Mm-hmm. And in the article, he thanked his wife for raising his kids. And that just always stuck with me. And that came right back in that moment. I don't want to be that person. And mm-hmm. so that was it was a that was the moment that really was the catalyst for a lot of change. Um, you know, it didn't mm-hmm. happen right away, but it, it's what really started me thinking I I something has to change. I gotta do something different. I think that's important. I and that's similar to some things that happened to me several times in my career. So I've talked, I think it was in my first episode ever, about couple years in, I was miserable. I was like questioning, why did I ever want to be a lawyer? And I remember this moment of looking at myself, kind of pulling back and saying, who am I and who am I becoming based on all the stress and the anxiety? And the and you kind of get to a point where sometimes you realize, wait, I'm scared of making a change. And mostly because my ego is all wrapped up in my identity as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And what will people think and all of that? But if I step back and look at the person I'm becoming, if I just keep going, I don't like that person and what that life means. And I think that a lot of us have to get to that point where we can actually identify who we are becoming or the path we're about to take and how much we don't want that before we're willing to then face the unknown, the scary, the doing something else. And back then it was, you know, changing law firms and my practice and a lot of things. And then I dealt with it again post-cancer when I decided, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if I want to practice law anymore. And so it happened twice for me, sadly. (laughs) But um, And I I see that a lot in people, that people, when they first come to me, clients first come to me and say, I'll do anything. But then they're like, yeah, but, you know, I'm like, no, you're not there yet. Because they can't (laughs) identify 
that piece. It's not important enough to them yet to actually make the change. And that's okay. They're not ready yet. But if you were in the middle, I would say, of that kind of, oh, my God, I'm high anxiety, high stress, I don't know what to do, I'm miserable, start to pull back and think, okay, who am I? Who am I becoming? Is that who I want to be? Because that is going to help you make a decision a little more quickly about what it is you really want out of your life and what changes you want to make. So curious to know if you um, if you were looking back at yourself or maybe just it's somebody else, right, who's, who's in the middle of that, what would you tell them? You know, this is my very limited anecdotal experience, so make of it what you will. <laughs> but I think – and this has tended to to steer me right most of my life. Your intuition is usually correct uh, mm. uh, on matters like that. And I knew before I knew, you know, I, even when I was leaning in, I just had this thought like, this is, how can I do this for the rest of my life? It has to be different. And, I, but I looked around, I looked at my mentors and the people who were, by at least the outside metrics that you can see successful. Mm-hmm. And none of them had a life where I looked at it and went, that's exactly what I want. And so that kind of fed into it. It, it was, that's not what I want. It, it, it didn't feel right. And, and I mean, I know that's hard. It's hard to put a finger on what doesn't feel right feels like, because for that can change from day to day. Mm-hmm. But it, it really just didn't feel like that's where I was supposed to be. And I think it it can be important to trust that feeling. Uh, you know, I think sometimes our our uh, our brains can lie to us because it's like, no, 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 this doesn't feel right. We should take the easy way out, right? right? So of course, it's complicated. it's It's having to sit with yourself. I think finding a good therapist is the, one of the most important things you can do in your life is to help make sense of your nonsense and the lies that you might be telling yourself <laughs> and, and and discover where the real truth is, what you really want to do. because uh, I mean, uh-huh. that's in my experience, that's what I did. But it was, for me as well, uh, and you know, I'm sure we're headed in this direction, but entrepreneurship was always there in my mind, always from my earliest memories, like the idea of building something and then figuring out a way to get people that would want it and sell it and make money and all these ideas. And that was always there. And mm. so as I was, you know, just like figuring out how to leave law, that's all I could think about was like, okay, what now? It was very scary, but it, it also was intuition. It was something that was pulling me that I hadn't listened to for a long time because one of the reasons I ended up in law school, other than I, I, I did think it was interesting, but it was also safe. Uh-huh. It, it really, and, and, that, and people that didn't do all of the school think I'm crazy when I say that. Like people that took a different path, school is super safe. It, it, you just, you just follow the thing. They, follow they the give path. You, yeah. You take <laughs> the classes. Okay. What classes do I need in order to get this major? Perfect. I'll take them. And then you, you, you do the work and you come in, you get a syllabus. Okay. Here's what we're going to do this year. And then more school sounded like a lovely idea. I'm pretty good at school. And so that that's one of the ways I ended up there was following this safe path. And then when you get away from that safe path, it, it can be chaos because uh-huh. there's no one to tell you what to do next. And it can be a little bit scary. So 
I, it I don't can know be a that... lot scary, but it's a good scary as opposed to, at least this is my perception of it now, but I kind of had the same experience. I think intuition is key. And I think a lot of lawyers push their intuition away. We're kind of trained to not listen to it and to think rationally and to think through all the steps and to, you know, and not <laughs> listen to all of that. And a lot of lawyers choose law school because it is the safe thing, because it is the obvious thing. Um, also, you you combine that with your training to look at every potential problem out there, and we become very risk-averse beings. And so then when we have this little thing niggling at the back of our mind constantly, we like to push it away because it doesn't feel good. But I would say to you, you know, or the same thing that you said, listen to your intuition. And yeah, it can change day to day. I'm not saying if you get it one day or two days in a row, you act on it. But if it's continually there and you know something's not right, it is a sign to start looking into it and to step back and to start asking those questions of who am I? Who am I becoming? Who do I want to be? What does success really mean to me? Because we often take on other people's definition of success and follow that path. And the next thing you know, you're way down it and you feel stuck, like you never really wanted it and you don't know what to do. No matter where you are on it, whether you're the beginning, middle, or you feel like you're towards the end, you can always change your path. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, and I think a lot of people think they're headed somewhere mm-hmm. as opposed to, for lack of a better way to phrase this, being somewhere, doing something. Yes. Is if I just get through this, uh, yes. I'll arrive, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll be at the place I want to be. It doesn't work that way. Oh my God, it doesn't. Like it's, it, and, and that took me a long time to understand, but it's the, it's the day to day. It's, it's the it's driving, living, being there. journey. That's where you do all your living. The right. succeeding that goal is not actually like, that's so fleeting and brief and it doesn't provide anywhere near as much satisfaction as ensuring you're doing the things you're enjoying along the way. <laughs> the contentment, like I, I tell people the contentment of my day-to-day life is the biggest gift I could ever yes. have given myself Yes, is I go to sleep and not that I don't still have anxiety. I do, but it's not the same. I, I, the, I go to sleep. I'm able to have peace. And I, when I wake up in the morning, I look forward to getting to my desk. Like there are things I do things during my day-to-day life that I thoroughly enjoy. I mean, this mm-hmm. is one of them, just having these conversations with people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I chose podcasting as a career path because I really enjoy podcasting. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I get to do lots of stuff that I like to do. And I, the value in that contentment, you know, it's not that I'm happy every day, all day, but I'm content. I'm not overwhelmed and like scared and Yes. And, and wondering like, oh my God, I, I, how long am I going to have to keep doing this? When will it get better? Like that kind of stuff. That's been really valuable to me. And I would argue people, that's what real happiness is. I think we've done ourselves a big disservice on on it, defining happiness as these fleeting little moments where we you know, are just on this huge right. high. I think happiness is being content right. and who you are as a person, how you show up every day, the main decisions that you're making. Does it mean you do things you don't like, like administrative tasks here and there? Yeah. You could still be happy through all of that as long as you're content. There's right. a difference. Well, you can't keep you can't keep chemicals in your brain all the time. It just doesn't Correct. work like that. Everything, <laughs> no. no matter how good your life is, you know, you can be LeBron James in your in your big house, your brain will normalize that. Yep. 
And, and that will just become who you are. It will not eventually give you like a, a certain degree of happiness. So there's that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think a lot about this. I uh, got very philosophical um, <laughs> as I was going through my, my uh, kind of transition phase. And, uh, and so I think about these things a lot because that is what I want. I want that day-to-day life to be the kind of thing that brings me um, peace. And it's absolutely possible for everybody. You just have to make the choice. And that's what I would, you know, say. And if, if you're in the middle of that kind of struggle, reach out. There are a lot of people, coaches, therapists, whatever, that can help you through this process to figure out what is your place of contentment. How do you get to that spot and stay there? So, okay. So we've talked a lot about your journey. Let's get into actually podcasting because I find this a very interesting topic. Um, obviously, I love podcasting because I have a podcast. Um, and it makes sense in a lot of people's minds for somebody like me who's a coach who to have a podcast, right? But why would lawyers want a podcast? That is that's a question. I don't get it as much as I used to because I started in 2017 is when I got my first client and back then it was like, "Are oh, you did the cute little the little podcast thing?" Oh. <laughs> you know. And uh, and now it's, you know, it's it's grown some legs. Mm-hmm. But I mean, people say, you know, uh, why should I do this? And usually I, I'm good at a question with a question is I'll say, well, what are you trying to accomplish? What, you know, do you want more business is usually one of the questions, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, this at its very core is content marketing. Right. And people understand that people understand creating content, why we do it and 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 why and why it's necessary to do it. And podcasting has you know, I can get down a rabbit hole here, but the benefits to not just a law firm, but to lots of other businesses, the, the, there's myriad benefits to, to podcasting, you know, big one SEO. Are you Mm -hmm. looking to nurture leads when people land on your website, they land on your website, you want them to come in. Why do we write blogs? So we can give people answers to the questions that they showed up with to help drive the traffic there to land on the page, to give them that information. Same idea is we're letting them show up they have a question. What is, I just got in a car accident. Should I talk to the insurance company? Right. That's, that's a question we hear. Mm-hmm. And here's your answer in audio format from an attorney that you can actually speak to after you've listened to this episode and get some more answers or listen to a handful more episodes until mm-hmm. you get past that point of friction where you feel a little more comfortable. You feel like, you know, that person a little bit, you like them. They have kind of a cool sense of humor that you feel like works for you and you start to trust them. And that's what we want. And, and that's that's a small part of it is driving the traffic there, answering the questions that they have in a way that's more relatable uh-huh. than than just words on a page. And then, you know, there's the branding aspect of it. There's there's the thought leadership angle, educating and building relationships with the referral sources. That's a big one that a lot of firms use it as is they have uh-huh. they depend on a lot of referrals. And so they will create podcasts that their referral partners would be interested in. And they will consistently create compelling content for those people. So when those people are looking to refer cases, they're like, these are my people. These are the people All I was right. to. Now, that's and, an interesting track that I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll tell you a big one that most people don't think about that they consistently rank as one of the most important reasons to have one is the network effect. Is building your network one conversation at a time mm-hmm. because you will bring in someone as a guest and you... Well, first, even getting a conversation with that person, I, I, you know, let's say that you want to get um, Susan, the CFO of a multinational corporation on a call, 
um, A, as a lawyer, you can't just reach out and be like, Susan, I'd kind of like to talk to you about maybe getting some business. What do you think? And first of all, she's probably not going to take your call. Um, who are you? I don't know what's going on. But if you reach out and you say, Susan, I have a podcast where we interview the most successful uh, CFOs in the world. And then you send her three links with people that she knows because she goes to retreats with these people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get instant credibility and she's going to hop on that call with you very likely because you're giving her your platform. You're giving her something of value as well. And um, and if they're lawyers, we know that we do like to talk about ourselves. Yeah. So you're bringing that person in and you're starting to develop a relationship with them. You're building that know, like, and trust factor with that person. You mm-hmm. might be creating a potential referral source there, perhaps a potential client. If they get a really good vibe for you down the road, they might say, this person knows what they're talking about. I really like them. This is someone I think we should do business with. Um, and then, you know, you, I've made friends, lots of friends that way. So those are just a few of the really small angles that we use that, that our clients have found very valuable as reasons to podcast. Well, and I think that's interesting because um, I had a guest on earlier this year, Allison from Women in the Law on the Record. I don't know if you know that podcast, but she's a big law associate who a couple of years ago just decided to start the podcast. And as a very low-level associate in big law, that was kind of a weird thing to do at the time, right? And what she wanted was just to really highlight women in the law, obviously, who reached you know, higher levels is what she kind of started with. And now she she interviews all kinds of people, but she's utilizing it for herself as a networking opportunity to grow her network as she develops her practice. And, in, you know, as she's moving along the rank, she's now mid to high level associate looking towards partnership in the next three to five years. I don't remember what exactly her year is, but it's really helping her. And, and she's getting a lot of She's getting introductions and in front of people that other than for the podcast, she never would have been able to get in front of, you know, high level GCs at big companies who are then coming back to her. How can I help you? How can I help you? Who do you need to get in front of? Who, you know, that, so she keeps in touch with these people and perhaps they'll never become clients, but certainly they might refer business and they could become clients sometime in the next five to 10 years when she gets to a particular level, you know? And the value of just having them in your network is, it's almost impossible to put a dollar figure on the value of one really good addition to your network. The opportunities that that can open for you. Yeah. So do you have any recommendations for who should and should not. Is there anybody who should not start a podcast? Or are you thinking like any lawyer could do it, regardless of whether big law, medium-sized firm, solo, boutique, you know, what kind of law they practice, or there there kind of guidelines for if you should versus shouldn't? You know, I think that it's very specific as to a situation like if the firm absolutely doesn't need or want any more clients, they don't need to do any marketing. They are they have a very full referral sources that they don't feel like is going away anytime soon. Certainly, you know, but at, at the end of the day, it, I, t- I encourage people to think about this, not like a bright, shiny object, because that, you know, I think early on, you said lawyers like, I don't know about this, but that's how they treat everything. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing you said is they're, they're very over analytical, like, oh, and that's, that's how they treat every new form of marketing. You know, yes. we saw, we saw it with websites is, I mean, I had a business law teacher who told me reputable lawyers don't need websites. (laughs) Reputable lawyers don't need billboards. And this was in like 2006, this guy was saying this. And 
that's that's absurd. And I think a lot of lawyers still have that same idea of, okay, that's not for us. That wouldn't work for us. But obviously, everyone's got a website. Everyone is doing some advertising and marketing, no, no matter what angle it is, we're all doing something. And this is very, this fits so nicely and comfortably. And, and that's what I hear from my clients is how much they, they love how much content they can get with such a minimal time investment. Cause again, it comes back to it, it's content marketing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's hard for me to say this specific firm doesn't need it. I think there are firms that it can serve really well immediately because that mm-hmm. uh, I'll come back to something I said earlier is why are you doing it? What is the goal? If we're doing a thought leadership angle, then I think the ROI is a little softer on that. And I think it's a little more of a long-term thing. If we're really yeah. just trying to brand ourselves as the people who do the thing, I mean, I still think there's immense value in it. I know there is. But when we look at, like we work with a lot of injury firms and they're very, they want to brand. They want to be out there. They want to be thought leaders. They also want to answer questions and drive traffic. Uh-huh. And so they're making episodes about what people are searching for. What are people typing into Google? What do they want to know? How Uh can we use this content to help us rank? And then once that content helps us rank and drives traffic, when people land on the website, how can we use it to nurture them, to eventually get them to pick up the phone and set that appointment? Because that's what we want. And so there's every, the reasons that we're doing it are going to be different and it's going to change the way that we decide what, what it's going to be about the strategy that we use around it. So I'm always hesitant to say this specific firm would never be able to benefit because I I look at like GE made an entertainment podcast, had nothing to do with their company. It was just an entertaining podcast that was something that people would listen to and be sponsored by GE. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working with a firm now that is in the early stages of putting a podcast together about their city. It has nothing to do with the firm. It's about the history of the city and it's going to be sponsored by the firm. And so there are just limitless angles here. Now, those are obviously, you know, if you're going to do something about the city, that's something where the firm is going to be thinking a little bit less about the immediate ROI on it. And that's so a it just, long game. Right. That's there, the long right? game. That's a branding yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you think about the expense and, you know, the marketing budgets that go towards branding for sponsorships. And, you know, a lot, you know, being from big law myself, we sponsored all kinds of stuff, but they were very fleeting because it was like a once a year event. Whereas a podcast is something you can, you can do and it's more regular and it gets you out there more regularly. And I think it actually helps create that brand more quickly than some of the other things that law firms tend to put their money into if you're doing it right and if you're focusing on it and staying consistent and all of that. So, and I I would also reiterate that your, that kind of goal that you have doesn't have to just be one thing. It can be a long-term branding, but also bringing guests on for the connections and like you could, you could do more than one thing. And one of the things that firms really tend to enjoy, I was talking about more content in a fraction of the time is their lawyers will sit down and they'll talk for 20, 30 minutes. And then it turns into a podcast episode that's on their website. It's everywhere. It's a blog post. It's a transcript. 
It is a full length video that they can use on YouTube. It is little 90 second video clips that they can put branding on with captions in different formats to share natively on the different social media platforms that right. they're using. It's newsletter blasts, white papers. They love their white papers. And there, there's just so much content that you can pull out of a minimal investment in the lawyer's time. Because that's when, when the lawyer looks at the business development plan, like, where do I have to spend the time? I've got to go do this. I've got to write this. And this is consistently the most content they can get from such a minimal time investment. Yeah. And I've got to say, I think um, when people have approached me and asked, you know, oh, isn't that just so overwhelming? Isn't it time consuming? Like the podcasting. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> like this is, I used to, and I still write occasionally, for SEO, um, because I still need to do that for my website upon occasion. But I got to tell you, writing a 2,500 word to 3,000 word article takes me way longer than producing several podcasts. It, it really isn't that hard to do. And it's not that time consuming. You'd be really, really surprised. And as you said, we lawyers, we like to talk. You can get on and talk about your craft and issues and, you know, anything practically pretty easily. And the next thing you know, a half hour's gone by and you have a full podcast that can be repurposed in a million different ways by your marketing team. I mean, don't stop there. You're doing the pitch for me. I love it. <laughs> well, I've learned a couple of things by having my own, you know? Yeah. Um, so I here's mean, a question though, that I think a lot of people worry about. There's a bajillion podcasts out there. It The market feels like super saturated, potentially oversaturated. How, you know, A, is it really worth it given that? And B, how, you know, what tips do you have for getting noticed and getting, you know, getting listeners? I think that a lot of people are thinking about those things from a scarcity kind of fear-based mindset. Mm -hmm. And because there, there's kind of the stages of of deciding to do something, it's like, well, I don't think that we should spend our time here. It's really not worth it. And then it starts picking up and it's like, well, I just don't think that's right for us. And then right after that, it's like, well, now too many people are doing it. <laughs> it's too saturated. All the, all the excuses, why not to? Yeah. And then, and, and then, and only then do now that everyone has one now it's, why aren't we doing this? And and so that's, I mean, I think we're in the middle of that kind of right now. And mm -hmm. when you think about saturation point, you know, I, I, I'll i tell a story that illustrates this a little bit is I was on a call with someone, a lawyer who had a pretty niche practice area. And he was telling me he was interested. He's like, I'm, I'm interested in this. He's like, but I think that it's saturated. I think the market's saturated and perhaps maybe it is. Um, but so after the call, I did a little research. His practice area was super niche. and I looked and there were two podcasts on his specific practice area and that was saturated to him. So then I went and looked to see what else he did. And he had a, a pretty consistent blog and then he had a, a YouTube channel that was pretty consistent as well. Like nothing really all that interesting, mostly like, look at all the books I own, that kind of YouTube stuff. But still, <laughs> he, he found it was a good use of his time. And then when you look at the numbers, I think there are... 30 million blogs, 51 million YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. Right now, I think we're just north of 2 million podcasts total. Oh, wow. And so the idea that we are anywhere near saturated, now that can mean different mm -hmm. things to, to different mediums, but I think that we're asking the wrong question. Is it saturated? What are you using it for? If you are using it to answer questions about, about things that people want to know when they land on your website, 
It's impossible for that to be saturated. That's like saying, I can't have another blog that would tell people what they should do after a car accident or whether when they're thinking about getting a divorce. Too many people write about that already. Which nobody says, but and they write those articles anyway, right? So they, well, you need to, <laughs> yeah, you need them, <laughs> and and so that the idea that there's not another room for for your voice, mm-hmm. and now if you're just going to make something that's not good, and you're not going to put any time into it, and and it's not going to help you, then please don't do it. Like we, it's certain the market is certainly saturated with bad content. With right. people who are not spending any time and really don't care and are doing something that looks just like somebody else's. But that's really the the interesting thing about podcasting is no one can really do it the way you do it. When you sit down yes. and flip on the microphone and start talking, it's your voice. It's your personality. It's your sense of humor. It's the way that you approach problems and solving them. And that is immediately what you're bringing that's new and interesting, but it's also what your clients want to know. They want to know who you are. They want to know who they might be going on this journey with. They want to get to know you. You know, we started this talking about my story because that personalizes me. And that's the kind of thing that podcasts help do with people is that helps personalize them. Mm. It helps someone feel like they know you a little bit. Oh, I also uh, am a terrible golfer, but I just can't stop. You know, like it, it makes you human in a way that helps people get past the fact that you're trying ultimately trying to sell them something. Yeah. And I would say it attracts people to you that are better fits. So one of the the ways, it's one of the things I teach my clients who are trying to build their book of business and, and grow their practices is really leverage your strengths and then also use your values as kind of a guide. And I think you can do that very easily in everything you do from a marketing perspective, right? You want to be very authentically you. You want to show who you are, show up as you do when you're talking to your clients. This enables you to do that in like so much better than the written word because people can only get so much out of written word. I cannot tell you the number of people who like I had a call the other day with um, a potential client and she feels like she knows me. I've never talked to her ever. She's listened to the podcast for the last couple of months and she feels like she knows me already. Sure. And so there's like more instant connection. And I think it helps to weed out the people you don't really want to represent because you're not a good fit. Absolutely. And attract the right people to you. So then you're wasting less time talking to people where you just like, and we all know those lawyers, and this is many of them out there, who accept clients they would prefer not to accept just because they feel like they have to because it got to keep the money coming in. Stuff like this helps really narrow down the number of people who even reach out to you who aren't good fits, which is really great, by the way, and helps you with not just growing your practice, but growing your practice in a way where you're actually happy because you're serving people you, you fit with and you like. So yeah, and something I mean, I've noticed <laughs> again, you're, you're doing my marketing for me because that is something I, <laughs> that's something I discuss with clients is it does allow people to disqualify themselves to say mm-hmm. that is not somebody that I feel like I want to spend the next couple of years of my life with. Yeah. Um, and and then to your earlier point, people, when it comes to reading and listening, people don't really like to read and, and that's okay. Like they're not going to read your entire blog post frequently. And I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm in the same boat. I get through probably at least 25 or 30 books a year. I might read one of those <laughs> when I'm on vacation, but the rest of them I'm listening to because I can do that when I'm at the gym, when I am out walking, 
driving. I can consume that content in the way. And that's really why podcasting, ultimately, I think that's why podcasting blew up. Not because it was nifty and a cool little thing, because it was something that people could be entertained by. They could get informed by Uh while not sacrificing anything. Because a blog says, stop and read. A video says, stop and watch. A podcast says, where are you going? I'll come with you. Yeah. And I'd like to say for those of you naysayers out there who are like, yeah, but I like to read or because I know there's some of you out there, right? The the statistics don't bear it out. Great. (laughs) Those people that are out there, they're still at the blog posts. And by the way, you can transcribe very easily your podcast if you want to. So they can read it if they prefer to quickly skim through it and not listen to the whole thing. Like there are ways around that (laughs) so that you can serve everybody. (laughs) You know, and then one of the things we do that I recommend people do is you create a thousand word summary of the podcast. Yeah. Like here are the high points that we talked about with some timestamps and some links. There you go, readers. Yeah. Before I let you go, I think this is a really great place to start. Give us a little bit more about Law Pods, your company, how you help law firms and where people can find you. Sure. Uh, Law Pods is uh, mainly podcast production for lawyers. We've picked up a handful of clients over the years because the market's underserved that are not specifically law firms, but that is really what we work with. And that, that all came from uh, you know, me being a lawyer and then started a podcast in my law firm, fell in love with it. And just that's all I could spend my time and energy doing. People in the community saw me doing it and they were like, hey, can you help us maybe try to do that? And that's where the early clients came from. And we've uh, once we got a real taste for helping other people do it, it just and the business model uh, started to appear. We really jumped into it. And now uh, fast forward almost five years are we really stick to you do the talking, we do the rest. Hmm. We set up a calendar link for our clients. They go to that link. They find a time and date that works for them. They enter their email. They enter their guest email. Everybody gets an automated invite right to their calendar that has all of the instructions with a link. They show up. We we test their mic, make sure their sound is good, make sure everything is working. We hit record. They talk. They hang up. That's the end of it. And for a lot of our clients, that's the last time they see or hear anything to do with it because a lot of our clients are busy litigation attorneys and they just are never, they're like, no, no, I said it. I do not need to hear it again. That's why I pay you. You do the thing. And we'll go in, we do the audio engineering on it. And like, you know, in case there are any leaf blowers, like there were on my side today, we go in and we try to dampen that, make that sound a little bit better and then cut out the ums, uhs, awkward pauses, any misstatements, (laughs) any misstatements of the law, anything that isn't going to add to the listener experience, we're going to clean it up and make it sound really good, really professional. We use professional voiceover actors, people that do movie trailers and Toyota commercials to do the intros and outros to our podcast because we want them to sound amazing. When when their prospective clients hear, we want them to go, oh, this law firm, they're legit. They do things well. And from there, we're going to write that blog posts, 1,000 to 1,400 words with links and timestamps and all the highlights, and then transcribe it and do that full-length video for YouTube with chapters and keyword optimization. And then the quote images, micro content from it, we're going to pull out good quotes, put them on your branded, put them on branded backgrounds, quote images, then video clips with captions on them that you can share all over social media, different uh, clips of copy that you can send out newsletter blast. I mean, there's just 
front to back. everything from start to finish, really. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah. show up and talk. That's really all we're asking you That's to awesome. do right now is, is hop on a call, have a conversation, and then we're going to take it and turn it into a world-class podcast. Now, do you, for those that aren't quite sure of it, they're interested in it, but they don't know what what their goal is yet. Do you help them narrow that down at the beginning and kind of come up with a strategy about what the podcast is for and how they're going to utilize it from a big picture standpoint? We do because that is a a lot of people do show up to it because they're podcast listeners and they're like, I think it would be cool to have a podcast, but a lot of them aren't necessarily marketers. And so they're like, I want to do this. And I have this conversation a lot. I want to do this, but I'm not really sure where the value is. And then we just start asking questions. I want to know who their clients are, how they tend to get their clients, because I want to know who are we making this for? You know, we could make it as a branding podcast where we're really the, the, the real focus of it is to be a branding show, Mm -hmm. but more, more, more frequent than not, we're usually using it as a way to connect with clients. Most of my clients are doing it that way as a way for people who might be prospective clients to listen, get some answers to their questions. But that's what I want to figure out is I want to figure out what's your practice area. What, how are you getting your clients? Where are you looking to go? And then develop a strategy around that. And, and say, this is the kind of podcast I think could work really well. And then there's sometimes there's a few different angles that can work well. And then I have clients, some of my big law clients have 10 shows and, you know, every different line of business has their own podcast, which this is just a PSA. Please don't start a podcast at the firm and put every single practice area into one feed. It's yeah, not, that's not going to work well. It's not a good listener experience because people will, they'll go to your, usually most podcasts for law firms right now are getting found on your website first, but then people will leave your website to go to their player. And if they're a family law client or an injury client and every fifth episode, they've got to like search around and try to find what episodes are for them. That's a really bad listener experience. Yeah. And it's yeah, just no, hard for search as well to try to get people into the right place that they're looking for. So it's very, once you've created one podcast, it's pretty easy to replicate that to create a separate feed. And that is worth all the time to take to do it. Awesome. Well, we will definitely have a link to Law Pods in the show notes so that people can come find you. Thank you so much for being here. No, absolutely. And feel free to email me anytime, robert at lawpods.com. And then on social, if you just type Law Pods, you'll find us. All right, guys, we will talk next week. Bye for now. Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you want to get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.